0: to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at MontereyChurch.com. Morning, church. It's good to be back with you again this morning as we jump back into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And as I begin, I want to relay to you uh, an old Christian folk tale that As I understand it, it was born in India. There are many versions of it, but the version I want to share with you was a little boy who loved to play the game of marbles. Do you remember the game of marbles? I actually had somebody here in the first service go track down some marbles uh, that they found back in the children's wing. If you haven't played marbles before, maybe let me refresh your memory on the game. Sit in a little circle with some friends. There's a ring around. You have a handful of marbles, and the goal is to push one of the marbles and knock all the others out of the circle. Last one to have marbles in the ring wins. Well, this little boy came from a a nation and at a time where they played the game of marbles a lot. In fact, they carried around with them these bags filled with these marbles, and they play with their friends all the time. This little boy loved to play the game, and in particular, there was a, a blue marble that he had that he liked more than all of the others. I know you can't see that, but this is a blue marble. The one that fell is red. He would, he would hold this in the, as his kind of trump card at the very end. He was the last one that he would use to, to knock the other ones out. And for some reason, it would always win, and so he held it in great esteem. It was his favorite. Well, one day he was looking for an opponent to play. He's walking around, and he sees some friends in one area and looking for somebody to play against. And he sees this little girl sitting on some steps, much like these steps over here. And she doesn't have a bag of marbles. She, she has a, a bag of candy, chocolate. Now, he loved playing marbles, but he also loved Chocolate. And he watched her eat this chocolate and his, his salivary glands began to get the best of him. And then, then his stomach began to rumble a little bit. And he thought to himself, I've really got to have that chocolate. And so he thought for a moment and then he went over to the girl and he said, I have a deal to make with you. He said, I will give you this entire bag of marbles if you'll give me your chocolate. And she thought immediately, she said, this is a great idea, sure. She handed him the bag of chocolate and he was ready to hand her the entire bag of marbles but they were in his pocket at the time. He knew what the blue marble felt like. Had a little ridge on one side. And it was so distinctive that when he put his hand in his pocket, he could put all the other ones in his hand but he could push that one down to the bottom of his pocket and keep it there. And that's what he did. He gave her the entire lot of marbles except for the blue one. He kept that one for himself. He made the trade. He laid it out there in front of her and she gave him the bag of chocolates. And he took the chocolates and walked on his way eating it as much as he could, as fast as he could. And then he thought for himself, And about the third handful of candy, he thought for himself, And then he turned back to her and he said, hey, did you give me all of the chocolate? That's the Christian life in a nutshell. The reason I tell that story, there are many of us, maybe everybody in this room, when we think about the greatness and the gifts of God, we want everything. We want it all. We we want to feel close to God, We want to experience the richness of God's glory. We want to have a personal relationship with God. We want God to answer all of our prayers. We want it all. And at the same time, we are not willing to give all for it. That's really the story of the Christian life. Many times, to put it another way, we hold this blue marble in our lives And we are unwilling to offer control of it to God. But what I want you to hear this morning is that until we are willing to let go of that, whatever that is, we will never truly fully experience the richness of God's glory. We will never be able to fully participate in the kingdom mission of God. I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and then he sat down. His disciples all came to him, and he began to speak to them, saying this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek may be the most misunderstood word in the entire Bible. When you hear meek, I wonder what images come to your mind. In our time, meek has certain connotations. Meek can mean weak, weak. It can even mean harmless, spineless, spiritless. A meek person, when you hear that phrase, a meek person, that's the person in our time that's viewed almost like a doormat. You can do anything to this person and they'll just take it. When I think of meek, I know this is going to date me a little bit. When I think of meek, I think of Adrian from Rocky. Do you remember the Rocky movies back in the day? Adrienne from the Rocky movies if you don't remember this is her and she was this way especially for the first two Rockies. Rocky could tell her to do anything he could say anything and she would just take it. She rarely raised her voice except that one time at the end of Rocky one. She was never confrontational she just sat there and just went along with whatever happened around her. A meek person in our time is viewed as someone who lives in mortal fear of offending anyone else in church because we have that perception of meekness i think that we've had a tendency even within the church to hold up and put on a pedestal the people that had that demeanor oh you can say whatever you want around them they won't reply Just look how meek they are. They never get riled up. They'll just take it. And we hold that up as one of the chief virtues of the Christian life. Here's the problem, church. That's not what meek means. At least that's not what meek means in Scripture. That may be how we have defined it over the years. That may be how we view it in some other connotations. But that's not what meek means in Scripture. And let me tell you why I know that. This word is used in particular to describe at least two people that you know in Scripture, Moses and Jesus. This is a word that's used to describe both in the various points in their lives. You remember Moses, don't you? Moses is that individual that chose to go toe-to-toe with the most powerful leader in his time and perhaps the most powerful leader in the history of the world at that time. He's the one that publicly challenged the position of his people who were enslaved. Moses doesn't come across as somebody that's unwilling to challenge someone. He doesn't come across as someone that lives in mortal fear of offending anyone. And scripture calls him meek. Jesus also is called meek. Though we sometimes like to picture Jesus as that you remember that Precious Moments figuring of Jesus in the Christian bookstore? That's the Jesus we like to imagine sometimes. He never raised his voice, never got out of line. Are you reading the same story that I am about Jesus? That was not Jesus' demeanor at all. Jesus was confrontational. He was loud and boisterous. He was a leader who constantly publicly called out other religious leaders. He led a group of people that were loud and boisterous. Can you imagine the type of personality that it would take not only to be a part of that group, but to lead that group? This is the guy that turned over tables in the temple. He was constantly at odds with people, constantly getting in trouble, constantly with confrontation. You know, they didn't kill Jesus because he was a nice guy. They killed him because he was a revolutionary. That's how he lived his entire life. You know, what's interesting, when you look at this in scripture is you have Moses and Jesus, and both of them are called meek. But both of them lived absolutely fearless lives. So as I said, I think we've grossly misinterpreted this word, because scripture calls both of them meek. So what does this mean? The word that is most often rendered meek in our Bible and the one that's used here can be translated in many different ways. And it is in other parts of Scripture. In particular, there's this passage in Isaiah 61. And the reason that's important, because if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I was telling you that Isaiah 61 is probably the sermon text for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus was writing the Sermon on the Mount, as he was conceiving it in his mind, he had Isaiah 61 in mind. We know that because it follows almost exactly the same organization from beginning to end. It's as if Jesus is looking at Isaiah 61 here, and he's writing a sermon over here, and he's just, it's a commentary on Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 has the word meek in it. You know how it's translated there? Oppressed. Or poor. Some translations even use the word humble. When Jesus says meek, he's not talking about people who are submissive or mild or unassertive. He's talking about people who are humble in the sense of being oppressed. You could say it this way. He's talking about people who have been humbled. They have been bent over by the injustice that they've endured in the world. But instead of giving up, (laughs) instead of walking away and laying down, the people that Jesus is describing this meekness means that when they find themselves in that oppressed, being humbled position, at that moment, they submit themselves to the work of God. There's this idea of submitting. I love the way that Glenn Stassen, who is a commentator in the Gospel of Mark and particularly has written quite a bit about the Sermon on the Mount, he defines this meekness in the Beatitudes, and he says it this way. He says, these are the people, those who are surrendered to God. In fact, he describes them on, he says, they are surrendered to God so completely that if you watch them long enough, you can't tell if you're watching their will or the will of God they're so closely connected that it's very difficult to tell the two apart and what Jesus says ultimately is those kinds of people they will inherit the earth there's another picture of meekness I think that may get at the heart of it I want to just relay to you quickly do you remember the story of Jesus going into Jerusalem that last time We usually read that text on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. Matthew tells this story, and it's that moment where Jesus is going into Jerusalem for the last time. I was at AC's lectureship this past week, and I I preached a sermon on this idea of that journey to Jerusalem that Jesus took. And what's fascinating about this is that Jesus knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem, right? He knew death awaited. He knew he would be arrested. He knew he was going to be killed. And still he went into the city. That's an incredible thing to know about Jesus. That speaks so much about the character and the nature of God. Well, Matthew tells this story in his gospel as well. And he tells that moment where he tells the disciples to get ready for going into Jerusalem. So he tells the disciples to go into the village ahead of Jerusalem and to find a cult. Remember, and he says, go in there, untie it, bring it to me. And this is the colt upon which Jesus rode as he went into Jerusalem. And then when Matthew tells this story, he says, all of this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. And then he quotes this passage in the Old Testament. I want you to hear this. Tell the daughter of Zion, saying, look, your king is coming to you humble. It's this word, meek. It's the same word. And mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isn't it interesting? Of all the words in language that could be used to describe Jesus boldly walking toward his own death, knowing what was to come, the word that is chosen is meek. Here was a moment when Jesus was completely submissive To the will of God. He looked danger in the face and he boldly took one step in front of the other anyway. When Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, he means those people who surrender themselves completely to the will of God. They humbly set aside their own agendas, they humbly set aside their own dangers, their own fears and they completely submit themselves to the will of God. That's what it meant then. What does it mean now? What does it look like to surrender to God? There's a book that was written several years ago now, What is Gospel? God guy by the name of Greg Gilbert tells a story in that book about teaching his young son to swim (laughs) anybody ever been through that excruciating pain they decided he and his wife decided to teach their son to swim at a very early age in fact he was just over one year old they had a pool in their yard They both loved to swim. They were constantly around the water. And they thought, we want to teach him very early in his life how to swim. So they began the process very, very early. But this was a chore for their son. Because their son, at this point in his life, barely even liked to get in the bathtub. Because he was scared of the water. Much less an entire pool filled with water. So they started slowly. Gilbert describes taking his son into the backyard with their pool. And the first thing he did, he would set him on that top step, you know, that top step in the pool. And he said his son would just kind of sit there and bounce a little bit like this. Sometimes he'd put his hands in the water. When he got really brave, he would put his face down in the water with his lips in the water, and he'd make bubbles. But that was it. They did that for a while. The next step, he said he, he took his son and he held him, and he began to walk around the shallow end of the pool. He said as he did this, his son had that death grip around his neck. Some of you have experienced that. In the next step, he said he he brought him to the shallow end of the pool, and he just wanted him to kind of stand there and walk around just a little bit. The water is just maybe up to his knees and just kind of get comfortable with it. And then it was time for the big show. Finally, he decided he was going to help him jump off the side of the pool into the big area of water. So, fulfilling the God-given duty as a dad, Gilbert grabbed his son, lifted him up on the side of the pool, and then he jumped in, in front of him, down in the water, hands out, and said, go on, jump. He said his son looked at him with a strange look on his face, and he had a look that said in his mind, this is not the last time he would think of this of his father, but he thought to himself, even as a one-year-old, my father has completely lost his mind. And he wasn't about to jump. He said he looked at him for a moment, and he saw this, this change, this evolution of thought go through his little son's mind. He said he went from confusion to dawning understanding, to amused rejection, to outright contempt. And when he finally realized what was going to happen, he ran as fast as he could and says, no, I'm going to see mommy. And he did. Well, Gilbert said he acted faithfully again on that solemn responsibility as a father, chased his son down, brought him back to the place where they were, there on the side of the pool. And so he, again, was at the moment of truth. Father jumped down into the water again, son there with him, hands out, come on, I'll catch you, I promise. And he said, and then he just, he saw it begin to change. His little son is sitting there in the swimmy diaper and just kind of doing this number for a moment. He he could tell he wants to jump, but he's just not sure if he's gonna do it or not. And then finally, after a long time, he didn't quite jump, he just kind of flopped into the water. Dad wraps his hands around him. Oh, good job, good job. And once he felt that safety, man, then it was on. For the next hour, they're going back and forth in the pool. It was that same routine. He would jump, he would catch him, he'd lift him, reset, jump, catch, lift, reset, over and over and over again. They did this all afternoon. After he gained to to get some kind of comfortability with doing this over and over and over again in the pool, Mom and Dad began to get a little bit worried. Now what if he's out there by himself and he feels so comfortable with the water that he jumps in on his own? What if nobody's there to watch him? What's gonna happen then? So the next couple of days they watched him. They would stand in the distance sometimes as parents do and they'd watch him to make sure he was safe. What is he gonna do? They were so pleased. They were amazed. They were touched deeply to notice their son never tried to jump in on his own, not once. At least not unless his father was there in the pool with him, his arms stretched open, telling his son, I'll catch you, I promise. And when his dad was there, boy, he would fly. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What Jesus was really saying was, go ahead, jump. Some of you in here may be very anxious of letting go of that one, that one thing. And just push it further and down to your heart and <laughs> your pocket. Whatever the case may be. And you'll give God everything except except for that. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's that addiction that no one else knows about. Maybe even not even the person sitting next to you this morning knows about it. It could be that thing that you're holding on to, it, it could be that that constant tendency that you have of worrying about your family, about your job, about life. It could be that that thing that you're still holding on to is is money. It's that for a lot of people. Or maybe it's just pride. What is it that you're hiding at the bottom of your pocket? that you refuse to give to God. Church, what Jesus is saying with this sermon is go ahead and jump. (laughs) Give yourself completely to the will of the Father. Surrender everything to the mission of God. And when you do that, Jesus says, I'll catch you, I promise. I'm not gonna let you drown. I will be there when you jump. The kingdom of God has come. And that means great things, great things for people in this world who are courageous enough to become meek. Father, We thank you for who you are and for who you have called us to be. Give us the endurance and the patience and even the courage to become people whose lives are dominated by bold meekness. We thank you for your spirit that empowers us to live such lives. In the name of Jesus, the Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing together?